The information in this broadcast is for educational purposes only and is not provided as a professional service, medical advice, or is it intended or implied to be a substitute for diagnosis or treatment. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this broadcast with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician and other appropriate healthcare providers. Hi, I'm Pete Levine. Welcome to Noggins and Neurons, Stroke and TBI Recovery Simplified. I'm a clinical instructor and clinical researcher. I've co-authored dozens of scientific journal articles about brain injury recovery, and I'm also the author of the book, Stronger After Stroke. I'm Deborah Battistella, occupational therapist, creator of the OT's Guide to Mirror Therapy, and an OT educator. I have a lot of experience working with survivors. Most of my clinical practice has been in a certified stroke center. Pete and I are especially interested in talking about what rehab, neuroscience, and clinical research all have to say about the brain and recovery. But don't worry, our job is to make this stuff simple. We're here to make it so that everyone, clinicians, clinical students, caregivers, and most importantly, the survivor, understands what it takes to leverage their great neuroplastic brain for recovery. I put their unaffected side, they stand that foot on the non-moving part of the treadmill, put their affected foot on the treadmill, so, and then you switch sides. So I'm working on stepping with the affected side with the treadmill going and the non-affected leg holding them, right? And then switch sides and their affected leg is doing the stance because as JJ Mowry will tell you, stance is the most important part of gait so that they have to hold themselves and then they walk their affected leg on the moving treadmill belt, unaffected. I got mixed up, see? When you can't use good and bad, it's complicated. <laughs> well, use good, good and bad. bad. I don't think these limbs are really sitting there when we go to sleep going, did you hear he called me bad? Or did he just laugh? Look, good and bad is a, you got a bum leg. You got a bad leg. That's just the way it is. Judgy. I'm sticking That's with what it. my leg says. My therapist is judgy. Okay. <laughs> so you take their good foot. You put it on the side rail of the treadmill. You, took, you put their bad foot on the treadmill. You turn the treadmill on. They work on stepping. Jenica, you're always very good about addressing depression with patients too. Oh that yeah, some part. That's yeah. Um, I I usually confront that pretty quickly. Um, gosh, you know, you remind me of some good things. So, the geriatric depression scale is readily available and free on the internet. Um, when I administer it to patients, I think the thing we have to remember as a seasoned therapist for the newer graduates in the world is you have to explain to people, I am giving you this scale and it's asking a lot of really 
private questions like how satisfied are you with your life and do you feel whatever the other questions are and I'm like you yes and you don't know me from Eve but you've got to be honest with yourself because if you are indeed depressed that can affect your ability to improve so let's just be realistic about this right now and if you are depressed we need to make sure that gets back to your doctor and I'll fax it for you you know that kind of helps get the ball rolling and if you're not depressed and let's make sure that you don't get depressed over time so we'll get you that baseline measurement and then utilize that later as needed you know sometimes depression comes with a stigma mm-hmm. so do you find that some people are resistant to be honest with you initially until you build that rapport honestly no I Good. don't. I actually I don't because I I believe that I deliver it in such a way that it's like I'm here because something's not okay with you. And if you you know if you come in confrontational about it, like you're depressed and I'm giving you this test, you're going to get nowhere. But oh, if you come true. in and, and you say I see some signs and symptoms and I'm worried about you, and if if we don't address this, it could inhibit your recovery. So do your best to be honest with me. Or or if you want me to leave the room and you fill it out and I'll look at it later. You know you. You got to meet these anybody right where they are. You're going to get nowhere. Yeah. I remember I, I did a small stint in home care and I was talking to the nurses about the depression and the older adult population and going under diagnosed. And even the nurses were not aware of that. And yeah. mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. It is sad yeah. but, and it's important and it's, it's not... Um, it's just better for the person if it's addressed because then they can often move through it. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes the doctor asking, you know, do you think you need medication? And maybe they do and maybe they don't. Or it's always about that awareness. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. You know what's good for depression? Exercise. No way. It's true. <laughs> it's not. You don't know. Yeah, what unless it's like about. really bad depression, mild yeah. to moderate depression is treated better with exercise than Prozac. And we do, we have, and Suzanne uses this pretty much with everybody that comes in. What is our, is it a return to walking program? Beginner walking program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets one that's, that's how to, we, we use cardiovascular exercise like you wouldn't believe in this clinic. As a matter of fact, I need to buy one of those SkyFit, ProFit, blah, blah, you know, super expensive upper body, lower body bikes because of the folks that we can't really get to exercise effectively with the upper body. Um, but yeah, we walk outside. Where do you take them? We have a treadmill, we have a bicycle. Oh, and for anybody wanting to start their own little clinic, the first bicycle I got was off Facebook for $30. So, but yes, we have everybody return to exercise right away as much so as So is that can. a program that you developed, Suzanne? No, I, Jenica handed it to me one day. I said, I need this person to start walking. Was I in the clinic a week or something? <laughs> Probably. Oh, here. Here's this. So it's just on my computer. She has it all with the logo and everything on there. So it looks very official. Yeah. And it just starts with, you know, two minutes of warm up, five minutes of walk, two minutes of cool down. And Mm -hmm. we tailor it to whatever the person can or can't do at that time. And it, it, you know, increases the amount of walking from there. So when a person wants to become a patient at your clinic, do they, is there an intake form? Do you announce to them your expectations after you find out what their wishes are? But yeah, I would say so. Um, And I've encouraged every therapist that works here to do that by, I think that part will come with the expectations during the goal setting. You know, we ask a person, what's your goal? And they're like, well, I want to walk better. I think that's 
really kind of a lame goal. Like, why do you want to walk better? Why do you want to use your arm better? What do you want to do? Oh, well, I want to use my arm better so I can cook. I want to walk better so I can walk to my grandchild's soccer game. And then you say, okay, if you want to be able to do that, this is what we're going to have to do. And everybody here, and if they don't, if I'm speaking incorrectly, then somebody's going to get in trouble in my clinic. But everybody that leaves here should have a home exercise program on the very first day. And we utilize an EMR that is an electronic version of your home exercise program where we help the person log in for the first time and they have a video they can see and it gives that I guess the the big term nowadays, biofeedback, where you can plug in that, yes, you've done it. They can text us with any questions. So that part's fabulous. But if they don't leave here on day one without exercises, something to empower them when they get home that day, then we haven't done our job. That help? (laughs) My face is all red. I'm still embarrassed. (laughs) Why? (laughs) I don't know. I think this is great. I mean, it's... It sounds like a very comprehensive um, clinic. It really is. And again, I think that I attracted a lot of really smart people here because of the flexibility and the clients don't mind because it's a smaller town. So we have more and more physicians moving into town that are only here on certain days of the week. So I think that the folks that come here have come to expect that, you know, Suzanne's only here on these certain days of the week. Um, and they're, the therapists are so attentive to the clients, they're willing to wait for their therapist. Mm. So we try not to juggle them around too much. It happens. Nobody's perfect. And um, we have started utilizing some assistance and, and that's been awesome. And some of the clients are okay with it. Some of them aren't. It happens. You can't make everybody happy, but we do try and our outcomes are good. And I think our outcomes are good because we do establish very solid relationships with those that we're helping. They all know about our kids. They know about our spouses. They know about whatever. And, and we know about their lives too. And that makes it a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning of the interview, you mentioned the one-on-one mm-hmm. approach. So what what do you think it is about that that leads to a better outcome? Well, I have my opinions, but I want Suzanne to talk again. From a therapist's perspective, my dream is to only work with one patient at a time. The idea of working in a clinic where I am seeing four patients I see them for 15 minutes, I pass them to an assistant or a tech or whatever. That gives me hives just to think about that. So I think from a therapist perspective, it gives you that hour to focus on that patient. Sometimes patients come in and, you know, in the shower that morning, I thought, oh my gosh, I know what I'm going to do with that patient today. I have such a good idea. And they, patients hate it when I say, I have such a good idea. And she says this every day, just for the record. (laughs) (laughs) So for us, it's that ability to focus and give that patient that attention. For the patients, there's no out, man. You're here with me for an hour. And you know what? I'm tired too. It's four o'clock, but we're going to get through these things because I thought of them this morning in the shower. So let's go. And my feeling is I'm not wasting your time and you're not going to waste mine. There's no downtime. Here we are. Let's go. Let's do this. And like Jenica said, I don't, I never tell the patients, oh, I was wrong. That didn't work. What I say to to them is, you know, not all of my ideas are good ones. (laughs) Let's try something else. So we'll just change tracks, but that doesn't mean we're done. And, oh, are we done yet? Oh, no, I have 10 more things in my head we're going to work on. And they expect that. 
I just think that it works. You know, they're the focus of your attention. You're the focus of their attention. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's much more effective. So you're not distracted and you're actually going through the problem solving process and that clinical reasoning yes. Yes. with for that person when you're with that person and always when you're not with them, when you're in the shower. Right. Yeah. It's not that whole big multitasking a thing that doesn't work anyway. It's too hard. And, and like I said, the youngest therapist, right, is 30 something. Everybody else is 40 or over. And so we just don't have the energy for it anymore. We just don't. I, I mean, I hate to say that, but yeah, I, I'm sure I could to make hand over fist money if I ran my clinic that way. And I hate, and I saw your eyebrows. Uh, she furrows her eyebrows, you know, if, if I had it running like that, but I just can't do it. I can't do it for me ethically, and I can't do it cognitively anymore. And I can't do it and go home to my family and and have anything left to give. So yeah. So since we're talking about your clinic, in the email that you sent us, you said that you hire good people, and then you get out of their way. So I have two questions. So hiring good people, how do you know when someone is good? Well, Suzanne will love to remind me that I've had some people I've hired that maybe didn't work out so well. And she's putting her head off the screen now because she's laughing so hard. Um, This is the world's worst answer, but I just go with my gut. I, I just go with my gut. I mean, Suzanne walked in and she was so nervous because she had stayed home to raise children for a long time. And I said, that's okay. Let's get you in some courses. And and she said for the longest time, she felt like she was drinking out of a fire hydrant, drinking water from the fire hydrant. She was trying to learn so much so fast to improve her skill set. But you know, when people walk in, you can tell their vibe, you can tell what they know. You do look at their resume, you do call the references. Um, but you can just, they came to me and they, they, they'll say, I've heard about your clinic and I've already done this for 20 years and I have this whole list of certifications and I you know, love my clients and, and oftentimes it works. There's been times it's failed miserably, but usually it works. And I do get out of their way because they are seasoned and their notes are good. And I could talk quality assurance and QI and QA all day long, but I, you know, they're ethical. Their notes are, you know, demonstrate reasonable and necessary intervention. Their progress notes demonstrate progress or functional outcomes are there that show that we're doing a good job. It drives me crazy that Medicare keeps wanting to cut us when our functional outcomes are so good and we do prevent falls or we do prevent surgeries, but yeah, I, I know a good one and I see one. In your email, just to riff off of this, uh, you said that the three things that you try to answer is, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> do you put the patient first? Mm-hmm. And will, will you fit in with the group? Mm-hmm. And that last one, Deb and I uh, talk a lot about how difficult it is to work with people, maybe when it's a large group or there's a lot of hoops to jump through if you want to do something new. But you guys get to be real nimble because you don't have to go through layers and layers of red tape to just mm-hmm. get a new piece of equipment or just take a left turn, add constraint-induced therapy. That's got to be refreshing. It is refreshing, but I will tell you, at the end of the day, and so anybody from my clinic that listens to this, don't you be mad at this, but we are women. So we all have very strong, sometimes opposing opinions about what is needed and what is not. And so, 
if somebody is wise, when they come to me asking me for equipment, validate the reason. Because we all want shiny and new. We all want assessments that cost a fortune. But what do we truly need? And if you can validate the need for the client, then I'm willing to consider it. Um, Because sometimes we just need a little... A little ball, you know, it costs five dollars. So you can do um, myofascial release for the neck. Sometimes we need a thirty-two hundred dollar machine for cardiovascular endurance. So we have to prioritize as a group. And I, I think I try. I think I do a good job of listening to what everybody wants. Um, sadly, and sometimes in a good way too. At, at the end of the day, it's the bottom dollar is up to me on where it's spent. But I do try to collect information from everybody. And, and we do have a little board in the on the refrigerator and write down what you want. And let's see if we can get it. So we try. Suzanne, I, I got a couple of ideas for a form of constraint-induced therapy in the lower extremity. Okay. Okay. All, right. <laughs> All right. So uh, one is super expensive and one is super cheap. So wh- which one do you want first? The uh, split, the split treadmill. <laughs> the split treadmill. Is he going with that? Is that the Wait, expensive one? Wait, can you read this piece of paper I, I'm writing on? Because it's-, it's I've listened to all 44 podcasts. Treadmill. But don't you like that one? It's like- I do. So or the mirror therapy. <laughs> the concept is that you have a split treadmill the right leg is on one side, on the right side, and the left leg's on the left side. And that's, let's say they're so left- unusual. They're, I know <laughs> you don't want them walking backwards. Okay, so um, let's see if I can get my head together. So um, let's say they're right hemiparetic and they take a very short step. The split treadmill, the portion of the right side goes faster than the left side. And um, because normally the right side's going slower, this forces that leg to work harder and go faster. So when they hit overground walking, it is more even. So that's the expensive one. So does the split treadmill come with a harness, I'm assuming, that suspends them so they don't fall on their nose? Well, that's that's up to Jenica. Yes. Do you want to, if you have a light gate, but you, that's another one, you know, I, I 1500 bucks. Actually, I have the light gate quote on my email right now. Oh, wait, you're buying one? Well, I have the quote. She has a quote. <laughs> oh, is it more than 1500? <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to look. I have to look. Okay. So while you're looking that up, here's the, the cheap one is a small shoe lift under the unaffected side, forcing you onto the affected side. She does that. She does that. Mm-hmm. She does that. <laughs> so you know what else is really inexpensive, Pete? We don't have a split treadmill, as you've already gathered in this conversation. So instead of I put their unaffected side, they stand that foot on the non-moving part of the treadmill, put their affected foot on the treadmill. So, And then you switch sides. So I'm working on stepping with the affected side with the treadmill going and the non-affected leg holding them, right? And then switch sides and their affected leg is doing the stance because as JJ Mowry will tell you, stance is the most important part of gait so that they have to hold themselves and then they walk their affected leg on the moving treadmill belt. Unaffected. I got mixed up. See, when you can't use good and bad, it's complicated. Well, use good and bad. I don't think these limbs are really sitting there when we go to sleep going, did you hear he called me bad? <laughs> we did just slap. Look, good and bad is a, you got a bum leg. You got a bad leg. That's He's the way so it is. I'm sticking That's with what it. My, leg says. my therapist is judgy. <laughs> okay. So you... St- 
take their good foot, you put it on the side rail of the treadmill, you took, you put their bad foot on the treadmill, you turn the treadmill on, they work on stepping. Is there enough room? Uh, because usually there's rails, right? Can they really we don't shift have it? That treadmill. Our <laughs> we don't have that treadmill. Oh, okay. <laughs> they stand it's- at the end of the rail with mm-hmm. me holding on to them. For oh, okay. okay. Then you do that. So they're working on stepping huh. and you switch sides and their bad leg is standing on the rail and their good leg is stepping. So you're working on stance on their bad leg. Mm. And now the PC police are going to come arrest me. <laughs> oh, I'm not in jail yet. <laughs> <laughs> The patients aren't bad. They just got a bad leg. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Suzanne, you have two daughters and a son. A son and one. One son and one daughter. One son and one daughter. And how old are they? Do you mind? My son is 19. My daughter is 17 going on 35. (laughs) And she's going to a good school in Texas. A&M. She's going to be an Aggie. Oh, okay. Is she going into PT? No. No. She's much smarter than both of us put together. Yes. (laughs) So my husband is a PA. I'm a PT. My kids are like, no. No. No, not doing that. Hey everybody, I wanted to talk to you about something that's really important, recovery from brain injury. Since 2016, I've been doing consultations with stroke survivors and survivors of other forms of acquired brain injury. I get together with them on Zoom for about 45 minutes to an hour, and we have a good long chat about how their recovery is going, where they are in the process, what their ambitions are for their recovery, and what's holding them back. Often a caregiver is also in the meeting, and sometimes clinicians show up. Anyway, we end up talking about anything under the sun that's involved with their recovery. And then I take a few days, do the pertinent research, and email them back a sort of recovery manual dedicated to their specific recovery. It's stuff that comes straight out of neuroscience and neuropsychology and emerging technologies. I email that manual back to their survivor, and every one of the suggestions in the email has clickable links to more information. I'm going to be putting a link on the show notes, but probably the best way to find out how to set it up is to email me at my personal email. And that's stronger after stroke, three words, all stuck together, no spaces, stronger after stroke at yahoo.com. You don't have to email me anything. In fact, all you have to do is write consultation in the subject line and I'll email you back with how to set it up. It's that simple. Strongerafterstroke at yahoo.com. So let's get together and jack your recovery up. That's right. Jenica, you have uh, two daughters and a son. Yes, I do. Yeah. And I know football is real big in Texas. I also know playing football was probably the worst thing I ever did. Is he is he playing football? He's a football? band nerd. No. Okay. No. No, when when Craig and I first had kids, I said if you want the kids in sports, cuz I play the flute and the piano and I read and I run because running is just walking fast. Um, I'm not athletic. <laughs> so I said, if you want any of our kids in sports, that's all you. And I tried karate, but one time they said, Hey, um, he needs a, a cup. And I said, a what? Like a, and they said a cup. And I was like, with a jock strap. And I said, okay, you're out of karate. I'm not doing this. <laughs> I don't 
doesn't even know how to do all this stuff with sports. So he's in the band. Um, my middle daughter is in theater and my husband stepped up and the youngest one is in soccer. So okay. there you have it. And um, so let's see, w- w- you played a musical instrument? What, I do. Was it? I grew up playing the piano and the flute. And the flute. Was that just mm-hmm. a flute sound? That just no, that was a ding. I mean, I could. I have my flute oh. right here. I made to play it. No, I'm just yes, kidding. Please. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'm. 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 Please do. Oh, I had. I. I had the best time playing a musical instrument. I played from probably age nine. I think when I started, my mom played as well, and all the way through college, Texas Tech going band from Raiderland. So we we had a terrific time. It was lots of good memories. I bet when you interview clients or patients, um, you always dig down into, do you play a musical instrument? Have you ever played a sport? I do. A lot, actually. Um, It helps people understand what I'm trying to get at when it comes to that motor motor practice. So do you have them bring in their instrument if they're able to? Um, I know I, I have, I have, I don't remember who, oh, guitar players. Wow. I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have Parkinson's patients with guitars and a guy that had a wrist or hand injury. So he brought in his guitar. And so we have a good time with that. I have all kinds of silly things. I know y'all had Mary Warren on here because I got Pete hooked up with her and that was so much fun. And so with the vision, one thing, so we have a lot of hunting in Texas, right? We, we, we like our guns. We like to hunt. And so I have some folks that have had a vision issue and it's been a long time, but Suzanne might remember, I will print off pictures of deer, turkeys, and put them all along the clinic walls and give our clients a Nerf gun because you can't shoot real guns inside and they have to find them all and shoot them. So that's, that's really a ton of fun as well. But yeah, yeah, we have, we have guns and guitars. <laughs> Guns and Guitars, the new <laughs> rock band from Austin, Texas. <laughs> but not Austin. We don't like Austin. <laughs> yeah, but that's the music town. That's true. When, this is when true. we want to go shooting, we go to Bernie. <laughs> that's probably true, too. <laughs> um, I have a question, but I have to look at the email again. It has something to do with being efficient. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have. So I think, you, is it Suzanne has those eyes that help you become more efficient? So I wonder if you guys could talk about that a little bit in your clinic or your business or, or wherever this all well, let shows me do up. the administrative side and I'll let Suzanne do the clinic flow side. When we first started, you know, starting a business is like pulling out your own teeth. It's painful and it takes a lot of time and you end up in tears because you just don't know always what you're doing. I mean, I did the whole road out of business plan and all that, but um, when we first started things such as billing, we used to send our, uh, the paper that you get in the mail, it's an explanation of benefits. We would send all those into a company in that dreaded town called Austin. And they would charge me to put it all into a system and demonstrate who got who's paid and who hasn't paid. And ugh, the billing was just a nightmare. And, you know, you're going to have to pay for things, but it's worth it. We brought billing in-house and we use WebPT. Um, their bill is attached to that now. They purchased that company. And so we brought that in-house and I got Shauna, our office manager, who's God's gift to Trio, um, trained on how to utilize that. And so that made us more efficient. We didn't have to fax stuff in and wait for an answer and pay bills uh, to them back and forth and back and forth every day. Um, 
would when we were able to utilize something as simple as a dry erase marker and laminate our intake sheet so we could scan paperwork in that made things faster instead of using paper files for clients when we first started. Um, now we have electronic intake paperwork. So little things like that, that we've just added on incrementally over time have made us more efficient. We can catch mistakes faster that way too. And then so I'll let Suzanne talk about the clinic flow. Uh, I'm gonna... I, I, ideas you've come up with, like what about, you know, Let's make sure we have more than enough laundry, you know, more than a towel. I mean, just the nuts and bolts of it, I think are, um, we're all therapists, but I think I probably am the most type A mom therapist here, likely. Uh, I don't want to have to go searching for stuff. In addition, put your toys away when you're done with them. Uh, it's a small space when you get enough patients in here and I'm not very graceful. So if you leave it in the middle of the floor, then I might be your patient next. So um, I give lots of the the mom look. You guys know what that is, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> About things. Um I remember at the very beginning when I started working at TRIO, coming in one day to Jenica and saying, we had a lot of patient cancellations. And I said, listen, here's the thing. If we don't think it's important, they won't think it's important. And so everything that I look at in this clinic, I think that's important to me. So it's, it's going to be important. It's important there's not stuff on the floor, that things are cleaned up, that kind of thing. And it's a, like I said, it's a small clinic. We don't have housekeeping every day. So that's on us. Mm-hmm. And she just comes up with little ideas like, let's just put a calendar up that says whose day is trash day. And just for the record, the cancellations we got fixed using a text messaging system. So now yes. people that are older don't forget. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, can we talk a little bit about billing? Do you, do you accept insurance? Do you accept private pay? We do. We accept both. Um, so when a person calls in, um, we do ask right now what their insurance is, because the way this has to work is if you've been a therapist at TRIO for a while, I've had you go through a credentialing process and that darn town Austin comes up again. But, um, what has to happen is you go online and you fill out a, a generalized, I'm going to use the word application and it's called CAQH. And you put everything about yourself as a therapist in there. And then all of the insurance providers, such as Humana, Blue Cross Blue Shield, or Medicare, can go to that site and extract your information in order for them to make you a recognized provider with them. So um, we do ask clients, you know, who is your insurance provider? And then that way I can make sure the appropriate therapist sees that person so that payment does occur correctly. But we accept pre- Pretty much all insurances. We do have some difficulty with Medicaid because Medicaid is an unusual beast. It's Medicaid and then it's Medicaid superior and there's all these other plans. And so honestly, sometimes when things get that confusing, it's best just to leave well enough alone and not take it. So we do take all insurances. We do have private pay. Um, I've listened to this podcast and I think you've had somebody talk about private pay. Maybe I'm wrong. Did you? Okay. I thought so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little nerve wracking to me to go full private pay. Um, I'd like to do it, but in my own mind, I still think $20 is a lot of money. And so if you're spending a hundred dollars, let's say for a private treatment session, two times a week over a month, that's a lot of money. And I, I'm not trying to undervalue my service, 
I just, I, if you have insurance, I'd rather go ahead and take that because I know you're also paying for that. So I don't know, maybe my rational and thinking is not correct, but. <laughs> well, I don't know if there's an incorrect or a correct. I think yeah. it's just, you know, how you, how you think about it yeah. and what you think is ethical and fair. Yeah. So uh, kids, uh, you can donate to Nuggets and Neurons. There's a QR code on the Podbean website. You can just scan it. And also there's a Venmo that you can do it. It's at Neurons is our address or whatever you call it. And, and thank you to all of you who have been donating. We yes, appreciate it. It's very nice. And remember, 20% goes to the Brain Injury Association of America. Brain Injury Association of America. <laughs> Um, 20% of it goes to that if you if you donate a little bit and it doesn't have to be a lot be a little bit in some ways it's like just showing in a, a little bit of appreciation if you're getting something out of it yeah and, and don't forget to join the Facebook group that'll be helpful too mm-hmm. and yeah so yeah good yeah it's good stuff Can we talk some more about switching from paper to electronic record keeping? Sure. And I I think that I had the electronic medical record from day one, but we did not have the capability or perhaps the understanding at the time for how to have the files. So just the general intake paperwork, confidentiality, consent to treatment, all those. I just don't remember if that was available online when I first got WebPT. It has been a number of years and I've, as Suzanne would say, I've slept since then. So I really don't recall at all, but it used to take a lot of time and effort and and time is money. um, And it's not time you're spending on your patient instead. So once that became an available item uh, through the EMR, we jumped right on that immediately. And it, it was been nice. Now I will say I'm going to have to retain those files for another couple of years. (laughs) So that's a pain to store those. So if you can do any electronically do it it's it's so much easier hey, by the 100%, way i agree yeah i agree too <laughs> as i stepped all over uh, was there more that you wanted to ask her or no. both of them because uh, i just wanted to thank jenica for suggesting uh mary warren oh she yeah. turned out to be real real good and um something that i think a lot of clinicians just ignore vision it sounds like you guys don't ignore that but a, a lot of us do I love vision. So I'm going to tell you a really fun story. When I was in occupational therapy school, so I was in, we, the nickname is, sorry for anyone that lives there, Slow Deatha or Odessa, Texas. Um, I was working with an optometrist who, is, who provided vision therapy out of all places, right? And he knew I was in OT school. He trained me. And one day during our weekly meeting, he said, have you heard of this lady named Mary Warren? I was like, no, you know, like I'm 20 and you're 40 and I don't even care what you have to say. Like I thought he was crazy, but he brought me this photocopy of an article Mary Warren had written with an optometrist. So for like a year, I did nothing with it. And finally, I realized how fun I thought vision was and vision therapy. 
So I went back and I read this article and I thought, oh, this is so neat. Like there's an OT and I'm going to be an OT and she does vision. And I would like to one day open a clinic and have vision therapy, which we can't legally do. We have to work under an optometrist, but I would love to do that. And so then here comes Mary Warren, you know, pops into my head because I realized how important vision therapy vision is again. And I go to see her in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I tell her that like, she's my hero and I can't wait to hear her talk. And she, y'all know that she is so dry and she made me laugh. She kind of looked at me like, you're a seasoned therapist. What are you doing here? <laughs> so, But I loved it. She was a lecturer. She was dry, but she was funny and she was smart. And so here we are 20 years later that I've gotten to see her because it all started back in college. So I just love how that story kind of came full circle. And I got to hear her a second time because of, of you guys. So thanks for that gift too. It was fun. Okay. So it's okay to listen to 40 year old men. That's the lesson there, I think. Mm-hmm. But you're not 40, right? Who's 40, Pete? <laughs> I, I'm 60. Like, oh, okay. I don't we think were- you can even hear me. <laughs> oh, I think he's talking about Mary the optometrist. Warren. Oh, oh, the optometrist. <laughs> Yeah, that right guy. Now. We won't go the same path. We're like, you're not 40, Pete. Hello. <laughs> no, what are you talking about? But no, but you know. It's a Pete. <laughs> OTs are all brain damaged, I promise. <laughs> that might be true. That could be true. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear from you. Ask us questions and share your thoughts by email at nogginsandneurons at gmail.com. That's noggins, the word and spelled out, neurons at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with others you think will benefit. Also be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll catch you next time on Noggins and Neurons, Stroke and TBI Recovery Simplified. for
Oh